Hi, and welcome to the Heartseed Health Podcast. My name is Noah Goldstein, and together we are learning to cultivate health and promote more awareness and connectivity throughout our community as we talk to incredible health-inspiring people about projects, programs, and events. Today I'm talking with Ben. Ben is a licensed clinical social worker and specializes in mental health counseling for people struggling with issues such as anxiety, chronic illness or pain, and grief and loss issues. He's a qualified mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher. He received his training from the internationally renowned and evidence-based stress reduction program at the Center for Mindfulness in UMass Medical School. And he began teaching mindfulness-based stress reduction to people with multiple sclerosis in 2001. Since then, he's been teaching uh, to a variety of populations, most recently for people affected by cancer and for the general population through the Center for Integrative Medicine at Good Samaritan Hospital. He has a private practice in Lafayette where he offers individual counseling and mindfulness workshops, and he's been working as an oncology social worker for the past four years at the Cancer Centers of Colorado at Good Samaritan Medical Center in Lafayette. He provides counseling, education, and leads support groups for people affected by cancer. His style in general, he involves uh, connecting the mind and body for greater resiliency and well-being. Thank you so much for coming onto the show today, Ben. I'm really excited to um, talk a little bit more about what you do and how you support people in the community. Thanks so much for having me. Really glad to be here with you. Great. Um, so I was hoping we could start out just by hearing a little bit about how you got into the field, how you became a social worker, why why you got came into this field. Well, um, it was a, quite a long process, but uh, probably the most pivotal pivotal event for me was when I was in high school. My father uh, was diagnosed with cancer, battled cancer for a couple of years, went through a bone marrow transplant. It's a pretty intense time for our, our family. And um when he passed away, right, right before he passed away, um, I had this moment where when just feeling, you know, like our life is, you know, upside down and it felt like all of a sudden the world should just stop. And I just remember looking out the window at the hospital in Chicago where I grew up and I was looking out the window and I just saw people driving home from work on kind of a cold, rainy evening and just going about their lives and then i just it just suddenly hit me wow i i i have days like this are days where i would just normally kind of go about my life and have no idea that you know thousands millions of people are are experiencing some very very difficult moment and that really struck me it wasn't like i thought oh, i'm going to be a social worker now it just more brought into my awareness that people are going through crazy things all the time and Ever since then, I felt like I wanted to connect with that. I didn't want to just go about my life and pretend like th challenging things aren't happening. And so it was a, a long, slow process, but I began my career uh, as a recreation therapist, working with people with MS and traumatic brain injury, multiple sclerosis and traumatic brain injury. And um, I was leading therapeutic activities and and did that for about five years and then uh, decided to go back to school to get my degree in social work because I became really interested in working with people 
um, providing counseling and, uh, and wanted to do more uh, one-on-one type of work. And so I got my degree in uh, social work and started doing hospice work actually for the first, uh, for the first uh, f- I don't know, maybe six years of my career in social work and uh, six or seven years. And then um, from there, uh, ended up at the cancer center where I, I currently work. Okay. Yeah. What do you think it was in you that chose to turn towards the suffering, to, to, to turn towards um, that, that thing that you saw in that day? It's a great question. Um, I don't know. I, I think um, something about it felt very real and uh, alive for me. And, uh, and it, I was just so struck by it. Um, and I'll never forget it. And it's just, it, it's had a tremendous impact on me ultimately in a positive way, you know, over, like I say, it's, uh, it, it's been a long process. Like I wouldn't have been able to work at, at, you know, right now, one of my jobs is working at the cancer center in Lafayette. And I wouldn't have been able to do that, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago. It, it, it was, uh, it took time to reach that point where I had to do my own inner work and, eventually reached that point where it felt like it was the right the right time to do it wow i mean that's i our, my practice is called heart seed that's what this mm-hmm. podcast is is called and um you know the, the idea is that there are things that planted in our hearts and sometimes we plant them sometimes they're planted by external events and so that's sort of like what i see as a heart seed this thing that was planted in that moment and sprouted um but i think it's really telling that that you you sort of chose to to go towards that yeah and I think that's a great way to put it a really what I had experienced in high school was really the seed mm. of all this mm-hmm. I think that's a good way to put it cool and I think that what I see in you know this type of work in mental health work and and healing work in general is that moving towards those things that are maybe uncomfortable maybe scary maybe um, difficult is what creates the most growth and healing. I don't know if that, does that resonate or? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's what I, I learned from my own personal experience. And that's probably what, what has attracted me to this work is by turning towards what's difficult. Uh, we could see for ourselves that maybe it's not, um, it, we don't have to put so much energy trying to run away from it or trying to pretend like it's not there. Um, people oftentimes say, when I tell people that I work at a cancer center, you know, it doesn't make the best party talk, you know, if I'm, a, <laughs> yeah. if I'm a, at a party, sometimes it kind of just, it could kind of kill the mood. And then I usually get one of two responses. One response is, uh, it, the most common one is, oh, I don't know how you do that. That just sounds, you know, terrible. And then, and then maybe another person might, they might start talking about, uh, you know, a relative of theirs who mm-hmm. has been affected by cancer. And, and, um, but you know, when people think that they, they, people oftentimes say, I don't know how you do that. Um, it's really just, I, I find that once we start turning towards, towards these kinds of things, it doesn't have to be so scary and, and depressing. Mm. Actually, uh, I don't find my job, uh, scary or depressing, mm. um, you know, on a daily basis, there's definitely a lot of hard things we see and, and you know, difficult, uh, people struggling with many difficult things, but it, it actually, um, 
I find it a very inspirational job, very uplifting, and um, I constantly feel enriched by the the patients that come in and out of our our center. Wow, I I feel like I I've heard that similar notion in in this field, and um, I'm curious how how mindfulness and meditation came into the picture for you and how they fit mm-hmm. into the picture for you now. So um, meditation became a big part of my life uh, when I was uh, in college. And um, <clears throat> I, for me personally, uh, I found it to be of huge benefit. And um, when I, uh, when I became a, when I became in the field of working with people with multiple sclerosis, I was in charge of leading a lot of variety of activities. And and I thought, oh, well, this would be great to be able to teach them meditation. And uh, but I had no idea how um, how to go about that. Um, and so I, I created a, a program and and, I, you know, I think it was it was OK. I, I don't think it did any damage or anything, but um, I, I certainly had no idea what I was doing. I was, you know, in my early 20s, just trying to kind of wing it. And then I, I found the work that uh, John Kabat-Zinn had had been doing for many years, uh, known as mindfulness-based stress reduction, MBSR. Mm-hmm. Um, started in 1979, and he developed this very structured eight-week program where there's a tremendous amount of research done showing its its uh, benefits. And so when I found out about what he was doing and read read a book that he has called Full Catastrophe Living, it really, uh, it just blew me away um, and helped give me some direction on how I could teach it um, in a group setting. And so I went through the training um, that they have to, that, that John Kabat-Zinn had uh, uh, set up at the UMass Medical Center, now called Medical School, and uh, went through the training and uh, over a number of years. And, and that has really helped me integrate it into my work. And so I, I bring it into uh, my private practice. I bring it into the cancer center and I run, uh, I run mindfulness-based stress reduction for uh, the community through Center for Integrative Medicine at, at Good Samaritan. So for people affected by cancer or not, it could be anybody could okay. could sign up for that. And so can you explain exactly how how the, the mindfulness-based stress reduction sort of program or, or system, if you will, is, is different to and or similar to meditating or meditation and what, what's so unique about it? So with mindfulness-based stress reduction, the, the core curriculum is mindfulness practice, um, both the formal practice of, of meditation, whether that's sitting meditation, uh, there's yo- different yoga type of practices involved in it, there's uh, uh, walking meditation, something known as body scanning. So the, these are what's known as the formal practice where you're taking a structured amount of time to to practice uh, to practice basically awareness uh, and so uh, there's that element and then there's also the element of the informal practice of bringing awareness into daily life so um, mindfulness-based stress reduction is is very intensive because it re- it asks the participants who are, are committing to this to not only practice in the the classroom which we do a lot of uh, the class meets for over two hours, and so we spend almost half the time doing various practices. But to also make the commitment to practicing every day at home, both the formal and the informal. So we have recordings that we give them to practice 
doing the different meditations, including the yoga. And there's a whole curriculum that's that John Kabat-Zinn had originally set up. And um, and then there's also a workbook that helps guide them in into bringing awareness into daily life. So the class uh, helps them really integrate mindfulness into their their entire life um, in a supportive group atmosphere where we're all we're all working together mm -hmm. and inspiring each other, motivating each other, sharing our experiences, having a constant dialogue uh, throughout the eight weeks about what what's going on in the mind and body and how can we work with these you know different challenges as well as enjoy the the many things that pass us by in our life that mm. we perhaps normally take for granted. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So when I'm working with with people, um, I often notice that um, one of the initial things that needs to be done is cultivating some some base level of awareness, and along with that, some ability to regulate, to self-regulate, and those two tools then allow for people to really explore deeper things, um, um, whether it's emotions or um, history that they've had, you know, trauma, or that having the, the, the both the capacity to stay aware of what's going on and hold this sort of third person perspective while being in the experience really is, is a big part of, of being able to move through things. And I'm curious if, if you find sort of similar um, experience and that, that that's how this practice helps people. And then I'm also curious what it tends to help people with most. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I could definitely see what you're saying happening with MBSR. Um, w one, one way to look at it is in, as people develop their practice, I, I think they're basically develop, um, deepening their capacity to work with the different challenges that come about with being a human being. So they, they learn to be able, I, you know, I, I really like uh, the work of uh, Bessel van der Kolk, mm -hmm. who wrote the book, The Body oh, Keeps the Score. Great book. Um, and one, he, he really hit, something hit home. One, one thing he wrote about meditation is that meditation basically helps us tolerate ourselves, <laughs> you know? And because, yeah. uh, I mean, you just ask, you ask someone to just sit in a room and be quiet and just be with their, their thoughts and their feelings. It's really difficult work, you know. Yeah. Someone that walks by my class and sees people lying on the floor on mats with their eyes closed might think that they're just, oh, this is, you know, they're just getting to relax, but they're actually working very hard. It's not an easy practice uh -huh. to to stop distracting ourselves and to really open to what's there. And so meditation practice is a way to really learn to be with what what's the, what is happening right now and and once we learn to tolerate it, well, it makes things actually quite a bit easier because then if if one is feeling anxious or sad or angry, if we could actually learn to tolerate those uncomfortable feelings, it no longer has to even be a problem. And and we no longer need to be get totally swept away by it. Right. And also could have more choice in how we respond from there. Absolutely. I think that's really the crux of, of, of this type of work is generating more freedom th through choice which is done through building the capacity 
to face whatever is coming towards you um, with a sense of strength, resilience, um, or even groundedness. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, and, and um, so do you, f- do you tend to f- see it most impacting people dealing with certain issues? Is it, is it super effective for, you know, when you're working with people for anxiety, for chronic pain? Yeah, I mean, both, both those things. I would say very effective for people dealing with anxiety, chronic pain, um, depression. It could be very helpful with just uh, uh, daily feeling like their life is just uh, out of control or sleep issues. Um, so quite, I mean, quite a range. Um, probably the most common, the common thing that I see um, is probably anxiety is probably the most common reason why people sign up for the class. Okay. Um, but not always. Sometimes people just really want to um, become more alive and awake in their life. They might not even have anything, you know, anything standing out that's so difficult, such as anxiety, but just really want to learn to be more present in their life, be more present and versus just constantly, you know, running around distracting. Yeah. It's especially hard in our day and age with our little technologies. Oh, it's so difficult. They sort of leverage our distraction ability. Um, do you find, how do you think, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time now. Um, and so I'm wondering if you've seen any differences in the way people respond to the training or to the meditation or um, different types of challenges that have been coming up more yeah, well, I mean, a lot of people talk about how they, you know, obsessively look at their iPhone, me included, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, looking at the iPhone a million times during the day or smart, smartphone, whatever they have, checking email yeah. thousands of times. Um, but what I've found, actually, it seems like the interest and obviously, you know, you, you hear about mindfulness all the time now, especially in this area, but all, you know, all over the world now, mindfulness is becoming more and more accepted. Well, at the same time, technology is through the roof and, and there's m- which lots of good things come out of that, but yeah. also it, it could be a huge, huge distraction. And so I, I wonder if part of the reason why mindfulness is becoming so popular over these few years is because perhaps there's more than ever a need for it. Right. I mean, we're so disconnected from our bodies. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and mindfulness is, is, I think, the perfect antidote yeah to uh to all the screen time that's that is inevitable if we're you know taking part of taking part with society yeah absolutely i um one of the things that i've noticed is that the more devoted and um consistent i am with my mindfulness practice the more i'm actually aware of the fact that I keep reaching for my phone or keep checking mm-hmm. my email. Even if it doesn't stop me from doing it, I just, I'm noticing it. And then I'm asking, wait, what's this about? What's the feeling? What's, what's pulling me? Um, and, and so I think, I think that's, that's useful. Absolutely. And then um, the other thing, I don't know if you, if you're familiar, there's a couple of apps out there that people a lot of a lot of people i work with oh yeah i started using headspace or mm-hmm. there's one called um breathe that is it was started by a nonprofit um that are 
they have guided meditations and meditation timers and sort of help you track the meditation, which can be really helpful for a lot of people. Um, it's funny that you mentioned the like not being in your body because um, just today I, I made a little uh, Facebook Live video on the HeartSeed Health Facebook page. Um, and it was like, hey, I'm in your screen. No, I'm in my body. And just kind of inviting people to just take a moment while they're scrolling just to notice, oh, your feet, your feet are on the floor or wherever they are. You know, oh, you're breathing. What does that feel like? And even our listeners right now, maybe, you know, wherever they are, whether they're walking their dog or driving their car or cooking dinner. Oh, yeah, be in your body. I often notice when I'm cooking dinner, I'll I'll realize how much tension I'm holding mm-hmm. in my body as I'm chopping vegetables. And so, yeah, just I find that the practices that the more I do my daily practice, though, the more I am able to notice what's going on throughout the day and and then hold this. Um, hold whatever's happening with a sense of curiosity mm-hmm. as opposed to judgment or guilt or whatever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I remember having a dream a few years back uh, I, when I was doing, I was uh, doing a, an eight or nine day MBSR, mindfulness based stress reduction uh, professional training. Okay. And on the last night of the program, I had this this really vivid dream where I was at my work and I was all stressed out, and there was a, uh, one of my coworkers uh, had something wrong with her body, and she had to have her whole body removed. And so she was left with just her head and they put her head on, it's going to sound really bizarre, but they put her head on a skateboard and it was like some kind of electronic skateboard. And, um, and so I came to work and I see her kind of going down the hall and she kept turning into different images, different people and, and whatnot. And then I woke up and what I realized when I woke up was that that image really was representing where I was at. And at that time, I was completely disconnected from my body. Mm. And so that it kind of it, it kind of woke me up to dive deeper into the practice and connect more. Well, what's really going on here be- below the neck, you know, um, because our, our culture is very much up in the head. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, of course, the head's very valuable, but we're missing, I think, a big part of the picture if we're we're uh, we're just in, you know, in our in our head. Yeah. And I think I mean, we're we're really, really lucky to be living now for a bazillion reasons, right? But I think one of them is this increasing um, awareness and conversation around um, the body-mind relationship. And, um, And I think that applies in the field of psychology as much as any of the other fields where there's this, um, I mean, there, we have somatic psychotherapy where people are, you know, using the body as a bridge to understand and regulate emotions. And, um, you know, people like Peter Levine are talking about discharging trauma and, you know, Vessel van der Kolk with the body keeps the score. There's just this new awareness and, and it's, it's growing, I think, in, in uh, j- just the general i mean field certainly you and i are probably more familiar than maybe many of our listeners but just that idea that one of the ways to calm the mind is to feel into the body and that um oftentimes one of the things i appreciate about chinese medicine is that the the bridge the the bridge of the the physical body to and the emotional body 
is sort of it's always they're always been seen as one and and we have this whole paradigm of the different emotions being associated with different body parts or organs and um so yeah i think it's it's really amazing now that people can utilize this more and more people Mm -hmm. can utilize it and we can use technology so this podcast so you know the internet to to help spread this and and share this and and increase the amount of awareness there is around it absolutely yeah i mean thanks i'm thankful to internet and podcasts because that's that was part of my learning you know Uh to to learn to connect more with the body and and what i find so you know one of the things that i find so valuable about connecting with the body is that the what what we're feeling on the inside is you know let's say there's any any kind of emotion that's being experienced the body the the actual sensation of the emotion so whether let's say it's anxiety you know what does anxiety actually feel like well maybe the heart's beating fast or a tight stomach or uh, or kind of an overall tightness in the torso area um, or sadness might be a heaviness um, in the heart or mm-hmm. or a pit in the stomach or tightness behind the throat I find that so valuable to start to connect with that because one it, it's it's what's most accurate to to our present moment experience we could try to interpret it and make a whole story out of it who knows what's really going on when we start making a story of it especially if we're in a reactive state mm-hmm. but if we could bring our awareness to the actual sensations well that gives us probably the closest picture to what's what's really going on yeah and and then if we could have a relationship with it kind of like what you were saying yeah we're, then we're more unified we're, we're one versus pretending like we're essentially divided amongst ourselves right. where you know there's uncomfortable feelings in the body but then our our, our head uh, is rejecting what's going on and we're having this internal struggle. And so by connecting with what's there, then there's no longer, there no longer has to be this inner division. Right. It, it creates integrity. It creates mm-hmm. an integration. Um, and I think one of the, I think one of the most amazing things about mindfulness and meditation practices is is their ability to create some space and permission for us to experience whatever is going on and not um, not detach from parts of ourselves and not reject parts of ourselves. Not cr- to, you know, there's the whole shadow thing of like, well. I'm not this, and then whatever you are somehow ends up emerging in some negative and and often um, damaging way. Um, and so, I, yeah, I mean, I think that whole idea of just accepting whatever comes through us, whether it's a pleasant thought or an unpleasant thought, whether it's loving or violent, like just recognizing, okay, I'm a human being, and this thought, this feeling, it isn't me. It's just an energy that's moving through me and um and figuring out how to work with that and be with that that's mm-hmm. wow um so i know you work a lot with with cancer and with with people working through cancer and cancer survivors and um and i'm curious if this in any way how how this actually benefits them in particular people who are yeah the the as far as mindfulness-based stress reduction yeah, or mindfulness yeah, yeah. in general um well uh 
one is that they're they're dealing with a, a lot of uh just being a human being like anybody else that doesn't have cancer right. they have day-to-day -day stresses just like anybody else and could benefit from this just like uh, someone who doesn't have cancer can and then the other part to that is that when with cancer there can be a huge disconnection with the body because people might feel like their bodies let them down mm. or might be a kind of afraid of their body mm -hmm. um, like for instance uh, some let's say someone went through treatment and their cancer is now in remission or considered cured but then there might be this kind of ongoing anxiety what if it comes back mm -hmm. and so then any any pain or sensation may trigger a lot of anxiety so mindfulness could be a really helpful way to work with that anxiety not necessarily just to try to make it go away but to learn to perhaps make friends with with that uh with the anxiety mm -hmm. and also to uh learn to get more comfortable in the body versus trying to escape or distract and learn. And what, what's been so interesting to me, and this has been, I've noticed this with not just cancer, but also uh, other uh, illnesses that I've, I've worked with when I was doing hospice work. And even um, back when I worked with people with multiple sclerosis is that you, know, I would, you would think when you invite someone who has, who has, the, uh, you know, pretty complicated problems in their body to systematically scan their body with awareness. I mean, gosh, that, that sounds hard enough if you're totally healthy. Yeah. But I'm amazed how the courage that people are able to find mm -hmm. to do that. And then I'm also amazed that, that for most people that I've worked with, they tend to find a way to really settle in to back into their body without you know, trying to run away or whatnot. Wow. Um, so uh, there's something to be said about kind of just facing with what, what's going on versus trying to run away from it. And I think when people find when they, they are fully embodied, because whether we like it or not, we are embodied beings. We're in our bodies, whether yeah. we like it or not. But once people uh, decide, okay, I'm, I'm in this body, I may as well be conscious of, of, of it and, and be in it. And, and, uh, and have awareness what i've found is that um that things could kind of settle down a little bit for them because they're no longer putting all that energy to try to escape something that actually might not be as bad as one is making it out to be mm -hmm. and and maybe there's not so much to fear maybe they could become more comfortable in their body and knowing yeah it hasn't been perfect but it's still doing there's still it's still doing a lot of things that are right and that are working right as long as we're still breathing we're yeah. still this, there's a lot, you know, John Kabat-Zinn has this famous quote, there's, as long as you're still breathing, there's a lot more right with you than wrong with you. That's his kind of classic quote. Yeah. And I think that sums a lot of that, that up. Totally. I mean, yeah, I think that the, there, there's so much resistance to, there can be so much resistance to what's going on when there's illness or pain or, mm -hmm. you know, even emotional pain, even anxiety, you know, I think sometimes when, like you were saying, the, the resistance to feeling anxious is almost worse than the anxiety itself. Exactly. You know, if yeah. you can just take a moment and accept, wow, I feel anxious and just be okay with that. Then all of a sudden the anxiety is actually not that, I mean, it's not a comfortable thing that you, that you want to have to live with ongoing. And that's why there's lots of ways to, to also move through that but i think the like that first step of just accepting and not fighting i mean it's just it's 
it's significant. Yeah, and and you know, and another part of the part that I think I've found that uh, people affected by cancer have been really attracted to, uh, as far as mindfulness goes, is you know, when having a cancer diagnosis, it brings into one's attention awareness that how vulnerable we are and how mm. perhaps limited of time we may have and how precious every moment is. Mm. And so I've seen a lot of people, a lot of our, our patients that, that we worked with or clients that I work with individually, um, find a deeper gratitude towards the things that may have normally just kind of passed them by. And so there, there could be a, I've noticed a, a strong attraction to mindfulness because it, it helps practice taking in those things that normally might pass us by, like, you know, the feeling of hugging uh, a loved one or playing with your kids or uh, tasting something delicious or feeling the warm sun on your face, uh, seeing the beautiful blue sky. I mean, it could go on and on and mindfulness could help uh, help cultivate that further. And uh, if if we, we don't know how long we're going to be here, whether we have cancer or not, may as well, you know, just try to take it in as much as we can. And so I found that people tend to, the people that I've worked with anyway, tend to be attracted to the that idea that, oh, you know what, there actually is, there's a lot of things that are going on that I, I can really enjoy and, and, uh, and maybe live a little bit more deeply in versus just thinking about everything that's going wrong or, or distracting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that, I think that's just huge. And I hope everyone listening, just even that little seed of, of regardless of what's going on in life, you know, there are good, beautiful, delicious, enjoyable things. And we have a choice around where we put our focus and attention and awareness and again, we're not trying to escape and avoid the unpleasant things. That's not the goal or the intention, but um, also not to get swallowed up in those things, but to, to be able to, it, you know, it, every, nothing has to be black and white. To live in the paradox of like life can be hard, but it can also be beautiful and amazing. And, and sometimes, you know, those two go together actually significantly. Um, yeah, I, I, I often suggest to people to consider kind of going back and forth from perhaps bringing attention to the difficult things that maybe are most present, such as, let's say there's a lot of anxiety or sadness, honoring that, but then also knowing maybe it's, we could take a step back and, and take in something that's more uh, positive or, uh, to, or, or let's say someone's being totally flooded by overwhelming emotion, maybe it might be useful at that point to bring their attention to taking in sight or taking in sound Mm -hmm. or uh, recognizing uh, there's someone that they love is nearby. So like you say, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It could be, it could be both and it could be kind of, and, and perhaps going back and forth uh, so that, uh, so that you, we, we could give ourselves a break, you know, it doesn't have to be all, all negative and or, or all positive, you know, pretending right. like the negative is not there. Right. And I'm actually, I mean, I often um, will invite somebody I'm working with to locate gratitude or love as a sensation in their body. And, and, and regardless of what they're going through, 
people can find it and it, it's i mean if you just i mean it's there and so and then using that as a resource and coming back to it as you confront more difficult things yeah it's it's such a, a valuable wonderful practice um ben i really appreciated what you said about about time and how limited time can be and i want to respect and honor your time and also um, the time of our listeners and i could literally sit here and um talk for hours and we might after we end this recording <laughs> um but i i want to just say once again i so deeply appreciate you t- you taking the time to connect in this way to share what it is that you do i mean one of my goals here is to you know i, I sort of everyday heroes i mean there's so many beautiful people in our community doing beautiful things and you know you're one of them and, and i'm grateful for that and i hope all of our our listeners can can feel a little bit uplifted and inspired by that too oh thank you i i really enjoy the work great and i want to know if there's anything i know you have a mindfulness-based stress reduction workshop coming up at, starting in february i think yeah um the the orientation starts on january 31st okay and then the actual eight-week class starts the following week uh february 7th on wednesdays from uh 4 30 p.m. till 6 15 p.m. and uh, it will be at Good Samaritan uh, at the Center for Integrative Medicine in Lafayette and um, so that'll be the next one and that one is uh, is available for the community it's uh, it's not just for people affected by cancer um, certainly available to anyone affected by cancer but really anyone you know, wanting to reduce their stress and and deepen the, uh, their their practice of being present in their life Great. Well, I will post in the show notes um, that information and links to that information. um, And how can people get in touch with you if they're curious and learning more or want to connect or work with you? Yeah. So um, I have a website about my private practice as well as about the classes that I teach. It's bengablecounseling.com. And my my, uh, last name, Gable, spelled G-A-I-B-E-L. So bengablecounseling.com. And then... um, and my information's on there, so definitely if, uh, if anyone's interested in either the class or, or uh, interested in uh, individual counseling, uh, I have an office in Lafayette uh, for my private practice. And then also um, there's something that I have up there, uh, another website that I have available uh, that has uh, free guided meditations that I've recorded. Awesome. Um, it's called mindfultrain.org. So that's uh, mindful and then T-R-A-I-N, train.org. And uh, there's meditations you could stream straight through your phone. Uh, I use some of them for the, uh, the mindfulness-based stress reduction class and others I, I just have up there for individual clients or any, really anybody. So uh, for all, all of your listeners, they're all welcome to access that. They don't have to even put themselves on any a mailing list or anything. You could just go right to it. Great. Well, thank you so much. It's such a service to the community to offer that up and to let people you know, come and get what they, what they need, what might help them, you know, for their daily practice or, oh, I wanted to ask you um, about any tips you might have for people who have struggled with their daily practice. Let's just, yeah, yeah, yeah let's do that. Absolutely. Yeah. So great question. Probably the biggest barrier that people say that who want to meditate is time. Right. And what I find what I've found is the best way to keep to get some momentum going 
is to make the commitment to practice every day, even if it's just for five minutes. Mm-hmm. So what, what what oftentimes happens is people set themselves up where they think, oh, well, it's only worth it if I do it for 20 minutes or 30 or, or 10. And then, and then they just don't do it at all because that just sounds so overwhelming. Any amount of time is good. And I, I've found that in my experience, uh, frequency is perhaps better than duration. Because what happens with frequency, if you start doing it every day, it usually that kind of builds momentum, builds the motivation. It's kind of getting a little bit of a, a, a hit of sanity to, to keep oneself going and, and perhaps still be interested in the practice. Uh, so if anyone's interested in getting a practice going, I'd recommend just starting, even if it's just for one minute, just to try to every day commit to doing it for one minute. And what you might find is that you sit there for a minute and doing it and be like, oh, that actually feels kind of nice. Maybe I'll go two minutes mm-hmm. and then the rest will kind of t- the rest mm-hmm. might take care of itself. So that would be one one suggestion. And then, of course, having uh, any kind of community to practice with. Yeah. It, it is really hard to do on one's own. It's certainly possible. But to be able to have um, obviously in this area of uh, Boulder, there's tons of resources. Um, but if you don't have those kinds of uh, uh those kinds of uh, opportunities, perhaps finding uh, someone who could be like your meditation buddy, you can hold each other accountable. Um, But and feel free to if you want to use my website, mindfultrain.org, there's even a meditation on there that's just three minutes long called the three minute breathing space. So even just start start with that and see what happens. Um, And so on the note of accountability and the team and and support, um, I have a, a WhatsApp friends group and we're doing a daily we do a daily meditation and ritual that's great um and we kind of all check in with a little emoji every day and it, it really is like it's helpful to to just know that there are other people out there you know who you're connected to and that you're checking in with even if it's just a little you know thumbs up that i did it um and and rachel and i we have a little morning songs ritual that we do um, and then just a five minute meditation and we're doing, we're doing it with our, our three and a half year old daughter, you know, kind of making, you know, making noise and interrupting us and, you know, our three month old son, you know, squawking and squiggling. And so it, it, we, we, I do a more substantial practice usually in the evenings after everyone's in bed, but like, but I think even when it doesn't feel as calm and as grounding and as centered as I want it to be, there's something about, okay, there's five minutes right here of mindfulness, even amidst this, this uh, chaotic somewhat, Mm -hmm. you know, system. And we're setting an example for our daughter. That's great. um, So yeah. Any, thank you so much again. Anything, any last other little things that you want to share or. Thank you so much for having me. It's really, uh, really great talking with you. So for all our listeners out there, if you enjoyed this, if this was valuable for you, um, please, please think of someone who might also enjoy it and feel free to share it with them. Spread, spread this important and valuable knowledge and information. Um, you can, you know, rate the show on iTunes and all that yada, yada, yada stuff. But I, I, you know, I just, I want this to reach as many people as will benefit from it. And so, um, thank you for taking the time to listen and um, I hope to hear um, from you any feedback where I'm always look, looking for comments or um, suggestions or ideas or, uh, you know, and I uh, hope you have a great 
rest of your day and don't forget to notice your breath from time to time and that you're living in a body and um, noticing the small delicious pieces of life.